want to add my welcome to you. My name is Greg Durenberger. I am also one of the elders here and the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church. You know, if you leave an offering, this, this was crossing my mind, it, it, le- just leave your offering, don't take an offering, uh, just, just saying. I, just, I, I sometimes just say what I'm thinking and shouldn't do that probably. Um, oh, there's something else. Um, I don't have one of those, um, but R- Ryan is holding um, a copy of our discipleship huddle field guide, and for those of you members who are part of a discipleship huddle and you've never received one of the field guides, which is a very, very useful tool, they are available for free on the, in that book table area right outside this meeting area, so make sure that you take one of those. Now, let me invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. I'm going to look at portion of Colossians chapter 1 in a few moments. And you, you open that, keep your finger there, and then I'm going to immediately ask you to hit kind of the pause button because I want to share with you just a bit of an update on some things. It, it, was, it was a year ago, last January, when we called you to pray to make it a year of praying and joining together and asking God for a number of things, for clarity, for direction regarding um, next steps, just um, next phases of our developmental process as a church. And I want to just fill you in a little bit on where, where some of those things are at. One of the things that we prayed for um, is that in the next two to three years, we're asking God to, to give us another three, at least three elders who would walk their way through the ordination process. Um, because of COVID, um, things have slowed down in that process just a little bit of guiding these men through the content of the ordination standards. But at another level, under God's providence, COVID has generated um, some, the kind of circumstances that cause hearts to be revealed and character to be tested, and call to be clarified, and wisdom to be deepened and produced, and just spiritual fiber to be strengthened. You know, God is never not working, right? And there are five good men at this time who are still moving forward. And, and I just want to ask you to continue to pray. Ask God to give us um, at least three very cold, qualified uh, men to serve as elders moving forward. Part of that's because also in the next two to three years, we anticipate God bringing us to the developmental stage when it will be time for us to birth a daughter church. Churches, like babies, are born, and like children, they grow up, and like young adults, they become independent, and then they mature, God willing, and the time comes when it is right and when it's healthy, and when it's a joy, something that we can all rejoice in for them to have kids of their own. And I want to thank you for praying and asking God for clarity in this this whole matter and this direction. Over the last 12 months, just the notion of 
planting a daughter church. We've, we've wanted to be a church that plants churches. It has definitely shifted. There's been a, a discernible shift from notion and desire uh, for planting a daughter church to something for which we are in very practical dialogue. That's about all I can say. <laughs> but, but we are still asking the Lord and would ask you to continue to ask the Lord for greater direction and clarity because God willing, by 2023, it really seems realistic, a realistic time for us to realize that step of what it just means to grow up uh, as a family. Last January, we also asked you to pray that God might direct us to a more permanent and practical gathering place. And in these past two months, it has seemed to us that the Lord has been doing just that. Though we were really years away from having the financial means, resources to obtain such a property, Sioux Falls Christian School was like a phone call away from obtaining such a property. And that's what they did. And by God's grace and the generous favor of that school administration for which we are so thankful, we are now just a few months from access right here to what for us is a low-maintenance 400-seat auditorium that we anticipate positioning us as a church to be a spiritual blessing to this city and beyond. So we still haven't heard precisely when this build-out in this room is going to happen. As soon as we do have that news, we will share it with you. We'll move back over to the cafeteria across the parking lot, and we'll be there for a while until this is done, and then we'll be back here. And with the discernible progress of those, those first three matters, uh, developments, namely additional worship space, additional elders, potentially an additional, additional local church, we now have a much more informed perspective regarding the future succession of the senior pastor leadership. My role, my particular role for the next two to five years seems a lot clearer than it did a year ago. And uh, thank you for praying, and I ask you to keep on praying for all of these matters because we, and when I say we, I'm speaking of, of the elders of Mass Road Church, um, we just know that unless God is working and establishing and strengthening, enlarging, uh, protecting, keeping us healthy, um, we labor in vain. So um, we're very, very dependent on the Lord and therefore your prayers. Now there's, of course, a fifth matter for which we called you to pray, and, and that has to do with our commitment to strategic missional engagement with a cross-cultural unreached people group. And for this, um, in the past year, we did establish a dedicated fund, so um, if you want to designate um, your giving towards mission, particularly church planting, you can do that. We have steps uh, to fan the flame of cross-cultural mission vision. In fact, just this past weekend, we hosted right here um, the um, watch party for the Cross Missions Conference. So several were part of that. Um, and, and, and as we continue to pray about that, that, the one thing that has seemed to become increasingly clear, whether it's, whether it's starting a church locally or starting churches internationally, God is deepening a conviction that it is elderships 
It's elderships, namely pluralities of elderships that most effectively plant churches, which leads us back to our very fundamental priority that is identifying, developing elder pastors who are called, qualified to feed the sheep, lead the sheep, protect the flock of God. And so please, please continue to pray. Pray regularly, without ceasing, that God would um, make us faithful and fruitful in multiplying disciples who would make and multiply missional communities, that would make and multiply churches that will impact the city of Sioux Falls, the surrounding region, and the most unreached nations for the glory of Jesus. That's our prayer. Please continue to join us in that. And uh, that's my brief update. Now, today, what I want to do is wrap up this brief series of sermons on spiritual habits by which we position ourselves in the pathway of God's lavish and overflowing and life-giving grace. The past two weeks, we gave our attention to the ways and means of profiting from God's Word. Today, my purpose is to motivate you and instruct you from God's Word in how God would have us prevail in prayer on behalf of one another. So, now let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. And um, if you are physically able, as an expression of just regard and honor of God's word, I want to invite you to stand and follow along. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 12, where the Apostle Paul writes this. And so, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is God's profitable word. Let's pray together. We thank you again, O God, for communicating yourself to us, directing us into your will, directing us, pointing us to your glory, And in opening our eyes to to see glory, beauty, wisdom, power, goodness, love, all the fullness of who you are. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you for the work of your word. Thank you for what you do when your people pray. Thank you for what you do when people serve with joy. 
Thank you for what you have done in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paying for our sins. Absorbing wrath. Fulfilling justice. Accomplishing redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that today, as we gather, we gather as those who continually fall short of treasuring, loving, delighting in the perfections of God as we know them. We fall so short. And yet we have a, an advocate that stands today before your presence, pleading on our behalf, pointing to wounds, pointing to where blood was shed, where life was given as a sacrifice that we might come to you and enjoy you. So we pray, O oh Lord, that this grace might be poured out upon us in abundance in these moments together. God, I pray for every person in this room to uh, find pleasure in you. I pray for those who are unable to be gathered with us in person in this place, but they are with us right now via live stream. They're watching. They will be watching sometime today. I pray for your blessing to be poured out upon each one of them. God, minister to them. Fill them. Satisfy their souls in all that you are. And speak now, Lord. Your people are waiting to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe the main point of Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 is located in the very first sentence where Paul says, and so from the day we heard, and here it is, this is it, we have not ceased to pray for you. We've not ceased to pray for you. We've not ceased. That's a figure of speech, right? Of course, they catch a breath now and then, or they <laughs> go to work, or they have a meal, or they have a conversation. It's a figure of speech, but it means that Paul prays regularly. It means that Paul makes prayer a priority. It means that prayer is of such vital importance, such value, that praying without ceasing needs to be a habit, a habit that we cultivate, we all cultivate, a habit by which we position ourselves, as we've said, in the path of God's power and presence. There are places that we can position ourselves where we don't have access to that, but prayer is one of those habits whereby as we engage in it, we are locating ourselves right where God can communicate himself in all of his fullness. Not only for our own benefit, but for the well-being of others. Now, even though there's not an explicit command uh, in this text, there is a grammatical construct. Uh, um, it's something that is known as the inclusive or hortatory we. <laughs> what that means is simply this. We should understand that what Paul is really saying in verse 9 as I and I hope you as well as all believers together with us 
have not, and shall not cease to pray. We're all doing this. We all do this. That's how we capture the sense of such a grammatical structure. And I think we get that intuitively, right? You read that and you go, yeah, that's, that's what I should be doing. Though it is not in the form of a command, Paul intends it to function as a command. As I am not ceasing, but continually praying for you all, you keep on praying without ceasing for one another. As I am prevailing in prayer for you, you be prevailing in prayer for one another. That's the main point. Keep on praying for one another. Pray and pray and pray and pray without ceasing. Now, why? For what reason? And really, where, where does the motive come to do this? Because you all know there's a massive gravitational pull to not pray. We're not inclined to do this by nature. What is it that fired up Paul to practice such prevailing, unceasing prayer? And according to verse 9, it is on account of this. He says, and so. From the day we heard, from the day we heard what? What did Paul hear that provoked unceasing prayer for the Colossian Christians? And he tells us what it was he heard back in verses 3 and 4, where he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. All the saints. Not just some, but all. So there it is. Paul had heard about two things going on in the church in Colossae. He had heard about their, their faith in Christ Jesus and he heard about their love for all the saints. That is, he had heard how they, were, they, they loved each other in, in such a way that no one was left out, no one was discriminated against, no one was advantaged or disadvantaged. In our times, we think of that and we go, that's pretty remarkable, right? Not just because it's rare. It's remarkable because when you think of love, when you think of faith, I don't know about you, but my impulse is to, is to think of them as affections of the heart. They're, they're, they're things that are inside. Faith is an internal disposition. Love is an internal affection, something that we would feel. But faith and love as spiritual affections are not intended to remain private. They're not intended to remain secret and hidden. In the church in Colossae, faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints had gone public. These people are trusting Jesus, and therefore these people are loving people. That's good, right? It's a good thing because faith that, that doesn't generate works of love, faith that doesn't function in any practical way may as well be dead. It's a dead faith. 
But the Colossians lived by a living faith, a faith that was active, a faith that got something done. And so out of their experience of this soul-satisfying fullness in Jesus, they were inclined to care. Out of this joy and peace in Christ, they overflowed with love toward one another. And, and, and this faith and love were thus out there for people to see. It was on, it was on display and word got out about it. And when that word reached the Apostle Paul, it lit him up to do something. He was lit to pray. Now, in relation to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which we've given our attention to these past couple weeks, this is how we could view this, right? The Christians in Colossae were profiting from God's word. Hearing God's word was producing something. It was producing faith, not just any old faith, but it was, it was producing reliance upon the promises of God, delight in the perfections of God, and this reliance on God in all of His perfections was producing joy and fullness and a sense that everything's good, everything's okay, everything's going to be okay. And out of this joy and fullness then was flowing good works of loving care. So even though they had, you know, they, were, they had full lives just like us. They had pressures and stresses and they lived in a, a, a cultural context that was hostile to the faith. They got to the end of a day and they were probably worn out and tired. They're, these flesh and blood people like us in spite of all that, we're making generous-hearted sacrifices. Sacrifices with their time, with their resources, even though they were not a little stressed by the cares that weighed on them. Out of this joy and fullness, these flesh and blood people were serving one another and bearing one another's burdens, their joys and their sorrows. And the news about that the news about that, this overflowing faith, overflowing through love, it got out and it captured Paul. It captured him in his spirit. <laughs> and it moved him to pray. Not just to pray generally. God bless those people. It moved him to, to do something more than pray randomly, he was moved to pray for specific things for, and I think this is really important for us to get, those specific brothers and sisters in Christ. He was moved to pray for specific things for those specific brothers and sisters. So he, here's what I, we've already said the main point is just keep on praying for each other. But here's, here's what I believe that the particular claim of, is on us from this particular text. God has specific things for which he would have us 
prevail in prayer for specific brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's say that again. God has very specific things for which he would have us prevail in prayer for specific brothers and sisters in Christ. Should we pray for our family and friends generally, broadly? Of course we should. Should we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be members of other church? <laughs> of course we should. Should we pray for Christ followers that are, are living in other cities or in other nations? Of course we should. Should we pray for suffering Christians? Of course we should. But loved ones, listen. There is a particular claim on us in this particular text to prevail in prayer. That is to pray without ceasing for specific things for a specific group of brothers and sisters in Christ. Namely, namely the brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of your specific spiritual community. Who is that? Who are those specific brothers and sisters in Christ to whom you, to whom you have made a commitment to be accountable? Who is that for you? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to grow in your devotion to Christ? Who is that for you? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to love them like you love your family? Who are the particular brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have made a particular commitment to live missional lives? Who is that for you? Loved ones, I believe that the claim of Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 is that there are specific brothers and sisters in Christ to whom, with whom we make a very specific commitment to live out the fullness of joy and the peace that we have in Christ. And it is to that specific group of brothers and sisters in Christ that we make a very specific particular commitment to pray. To pray without ceasing. It's, it's important. It is good. It is right to pray for others. It is good and right to, to pray for our friends and our family members. It's good and right to pray for our neighbors and our colleagues. It is good and right to pray for them regularly. Of course we do that. But here's the unvarnished reality. We really don't pray all that much for anybody. Prayer, much less prevailing prayer for one another, is not a very common habit. S speaking to this fact of prayerlessness in light of, he's speaking to it in light of the promise of Romans 8.32. Um, J.I. Packer writes, let's call a spade a spade. The name of the game we're playing is unbelief. And Paul's, he will give us all things. That's the promise, Romans 8.32. He will give us all things. It stands as an everlasting rebuke. 
So what unbelief? Unbelief? (laughs) What aren't we believing? That is the obstacle to praying. Perhaps it's a functional unbelief in the promise of Matthew 6, 6, where Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. And, And this is a crazy promise, right? Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Does that surprise you that Jesus aims to motivate us to pray with promise of reward? Sounds kind of potentially borderline scary legalistic, right? Earning rewards. What rewards? Well, I think Jesus clears this up. Kind of eliminates the danger when he says in John 6.35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, here's a promise, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me, here's another promise, shall never thirst. We all have heart hungers and soul thirsts, right? But Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies them all. And he rewards our prayers, not with what he gives, but with who He is. He's the bread of life. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, then we will also believe that prayer makes a very profound difference in how much we experience the power and the presence of God. Prayer makes a profound difference in how much the measure of God's presence and power that we experience in our lives. Do you believe that? Do we trust that promise? Because if we believed it, what then would our prayers for one another look like? What would we be praying for, practically speaking? What would the specific prayers that we pray for a specific group of brothers and sisters look like? Well, according to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12, we would pray without ceasing that, first of all, our brothers and sisters in Christ would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Look again at verse 9. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And to be filled with the knowledge of God's will means that we are captured with the glory of who God is and His purposes. Who He is and where He's going. Who He is and what His aim is. You are captured in such a way and to such a degree that you want to pour out your life to fulfill His purposes. We currently have eight missional communities. Um, And uh, for those of you that are new to us, um, our missional communities are the structures where brothers and sisters in Christ make, this is where we make a particular commitment 
to grow up together in faith and devotion to Christ. This is where we, this is the structure, the particular group of brothers and sisters where we make particular commitments to love one another like family, to engage in blessing our city together with whom we live missional lives. That's, that's the group. That's the specific group of brothers and sisters for whom Paul is, I believe, exhorting us to pray in a specific way. Now imagine what it would be like if the brothers and sisters in Christ that made up your missional community or even your discipleship huddle, what if they were so captured? That group of 14s, I think, is probably the size one. There's some groups that are like 30 plus. They're busting out. Um, What if every brother and sister in Christ in your missional community was so captured by the beauty and the wonder of God's perfections and the glory of His purposes that the desire of every one of those brothers and sisters was to pour out their lives for the fulfillment of God's purposes? Worship the Lord with spiritual wisdom and true understanding. That's what Paul's praying for without ceasing. That that God would so capture his brothers and sisters in Christ with the glory of God and his purposes. Think about this. And think about this. This is what I think is astonishing about this text. Your prevailing prayer For the brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters in Christ in your missional community or your discipleship huddle or your spiritual, the group of people to whom you are really committed, your prevailing prayer for them can actually make a profound difference in how much they are actually captured with awe and wonder of God and zeal for His purposes. Do you have faith to pray for that? Ask God for that? We pray that our brothers and sisters would be filled with the knowledge of God and His will. Second, do you have the faith to pray without ceasing that your brothers and sisters in Christ would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Verse 10 says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, it means to live our lives in such a way that people look at us and they say, whoa, they must be trusting an awesome God, a God who is worth everything to them. He's worth everything to them. He's worth everything because he's faithful. He's worth everything because he promises to care for their every need. He's a God who loves them so completely. A God in whom they can fully trust for every circumstance. Just look at how much the Lord is worth to them. You can see it. You see the power in that? I mean, every, just imagine, every brother and sister in your missional community, your discipleship huddle, working, playing, Spending their money, using their time, making every decision, living out a lifestyle that shows that no one and no thing is worth more to them than their Father in Heaven. And here's the crazy thing. 
your prevailing prayer can make a profound difference in how much someone else, another brother and sister of Christ, are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what your prayers do. You believe that? Third, do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would please God in all respects? Verse 10, we've not ceased to pray asking that you would be fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing to Him. Imagine what it would be like to live in such a way that God was just constantly pleased with you. Every word you spoke, every action, everything you thought. And that God was not just like okay with, with what we are, what we did, but He was deeply pleased with what we are and did. Um, I'm... I'm mindful as a pastor because we engage with people like we struggle with this ourselves we're mindful of those who live with this deep ache of emptiness because you know like in relationship to a parent probably most likely you are never enough just never enough always criticized always reminded how far you fell short and today, you know, we, we, we remain insecure and tentative and uneasy, desperate for approval. And this fear and insecurity spills over into every relationship, including a relationship with God. Does God really like me? Is God really pleased? Could God ever delight in somebody like me? Fully. In every way. To, to know that is a spiritual blessing. Unspeakable. And here's the crazy thing. You're praying for that. You're asking for that. On behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ can make a profound difference in how much they experience the pleasure of God. Do you have the faith for that? Fourth, do you have the faith to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they would bear fruit in every good work? Verse 10 again, we do not, we do not cease to pray asking that you are bearing fruit in every good work. So because the, the focus here in this text is on the fruit from the work as opposed to the work itself, I believe this is referring to the fruit that is born in the lives of others, the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ on account of our good work. It's, it's a fruit that is born in the lives of other people on account of the good works done by our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, we're asking God that the love and the care and the sacrifice and the generosity and the servanthood and the expressing of spiritual gifts and talents and skills and experience and whatnot and the burden bearing and every good work, not just some of the good works, but every good work at all times, done by the brothers and sisters in our missional communities or discipleship huddles would bear spiritual fruit in the lives of other people. So imagine that. 
every good work bearing eternally significant fruit in the lives of others. What an astonishing blessing that would be to the people in our city, to the people in our respective spheres of influence, to the people groups and the language groups of all nations. That's what Paul prayed for unceasingly, that God would cause his own brothers and sisters in Christ to bear fruit in every good work. And here's the crazy thing. Your prayer, your prayer for that, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, can make a profound difference in how much someone else is bearing fruit. Fifth, do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would increase in the knowledge of God? Verse 10, we have not ceased asking that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Could there be possibly anything more important, anything more desirable, anything more enjoyable, anything more soul-satisfying than knowing God, communing with God, gazing at the beauty of the Lord, hearing His wisdom, exploring the depths of His glorious grace. And Paul prayed without ceasing that his brothers and sisters in Christ would be ever-increasing in that, ever-increasing in their knowledge of that. And in the same way, your prayer can make a profound difference in how much someone, someone else, some brother or sister in your spiritual community knows God, increases in the knowledge of God. Six, do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would be strengthened with all power? Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. (laughs) Oh, the endless list of things that drain us. (laughs) Up at all hours of the night after night with fussy babies. Day after day with frustrating jobs. Chronic pain and fatigue unplanned for interruptions, things breaking down all the time, giving in to temptation. You know, when you, when you cave in to a willful sin, um, d- afterwards, do you feel powerful or weak? Strong or empty? Enduring disappointments, grieving lost dreams. Isn't there always... Aren't there always more and more situations in which we feel helpless? Let me tell you, it, it becomes more true the older you get. I feel more, I, I, I can't fix that. I can't do that. <laughs> I got nothing. But imagine what it would be like to be constantly strengthened in your faith strengthened in your inner being according to God's supernatural power, all God's power, strengthened with 
all God's power. This is how Paul prayed for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so, too, this is the crazy thing. Your prayers can actually make, actually make a profound difference in how much somebody else is experiencing God's sustaining, strengthening power. Seventh, this is the last one on the list here. Do you have the faith to pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ would be joyously thankful to God? (laughs) Verse 11 and 12, we've not ceased to pray that you may be strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So just, you know, in your mind's eye right now, picture somebody in your missional community, somebody in your discipleship huddle, picture them just joyously giving thanks to the Father. They're so thankful. Picture them. They're not sullen and complaining, but they're joyously giving thanks to the Father. And it's a gospel fruit because of the inheritance that has been given to them through the grace of God. Loved ones, that's what Paul prayed for without ceasing. And your unceasing, this is just the craziest thing, isn't it? Your unceasing prevailing prayer can actually make a profound difference in how somebody else is experiencing joyous gratitude in the gospel of God. (laughs) So, I often think, this is a a well-known little motto um, authored, I guess, by, I think he's a Civil War era pastor by the name of E.M. Bounds. Bounds is famous for saying, No prayer, no power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. It's a a poignant little saying, but I think it really does sum up the meaning and the significance of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. No prayer, there's no power among us. Some prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ, eh, some, some power. But much power, much prayer, much prevailing, unceasing prayer, there will be much, much power. Your prevailing prayer can make a profound difference in how much someone else, some brother and sister in Christ, are experiencing the very presence and power of God. Would you make this habit Make, make, make prevailing prayer for one another a habit whereby you position yourself in the path of God's lavish grace to the end that our faith in Him and our love for one another might resound to the praise of His glory. The word would get out and that our brothers and sisters in Christ might know this exceeding abundance and greatness of God's presence and power in their lives. Let's pray for, ne- for that now. And I would just invite you, I know this is a challenge in a setting like this when you know, we're mindful of 
a lot of things going on around us or that we need to get to. But especially for those of you members of Emmaus Road Church, you, you know who those brothers and sisters in Christ are, those specific brothers and sisters in Christ that you, with whom, to whom you have made a particular commitment. Commitment to be spiritual community, a gospel community, live in the gospel, the good of its, the gospel together. You know who they are. You know who those people are that you've made a commitment to, to grow in devotion of Christ together, to, to be family together, to, to do the rhythms of life together, to engage in a missional life together. You know who they are. You can see their faces. And they're there perhaps is, at least in this, this brief moment, one or two of these things that Paul prayed for that just stand out to you. That you would want to pray that on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because as you do so, it could actually make, in this moment, today, this week, or, or at some point as you pray Without ceasing. You make it a habit. There will be breakthroughs. There will be depth. There will be growth. There will be an enlargement. There will be a difference. A profound difference in how much that brother or sister in Christ is experiencing the work of the Lord. The movement of God. When God moves, things change. So, Lord, we join together in seeking you to produce these spiritual glories, the spiritual fruits, these great kindnesses from you that can only be accomplished because you're at work within us. We can't make these things happen. And so we're trusting you. We're trusting your power. And we're trusting your promises that if we pray, you will reward us with more of you, all that you are for us in the person and work of Jesus. Get glory now. In Jesus' name, amen.